Add a personalized touch to your greeting cards this holiday season with CardsDirect.com. Design your customized cards on CardsDirect.com slash real simple and save 25% off instantly at checkout. But don't wait. The holidays are just weeks away. Shop over 5,000 holiday products. Express shipping options are available if you order today. CardsDirect.com slash real simple. Humphreys, the executive editor of Real Simple, a busy stepmother of two, and an amateur cook who loves to cook but has lots of questions. And I'm Sarah Karnasevich, the food editor of RealSimple.com, a working mom of a hungry toddler who tries to give you all the answers. Welcome to Things Cooks Know, the weekly podcast where the professional cook, that's Sarah Kay, shares insider advice and secrets that the busy amateur cook, that's me, can use in her own kitchen with her own family. And as we said last week, we're, we are really full throttle on Thanksgiving planning around here, or as it were, talking about Thanksgiving <laughs> not planning, actually doing <laughs> not doing anything. And I actually, this year, am moving the day before Thanksgiving. Well, you'll be really thankful when it's over, right? Oh, God. It's just like, the, it's the worst. So anyway, I usually, what I do is I go up to my parents' house and I'm in charge of all the pies. Mm-hmm. And I spend the entire kind of night, the night before and then morning making homemade crust and then doing the pies. This year, we're literally getting there probably like two hours before dinner. Yeah. And you can't do the full pie brigade. Can't, I can't. Yeah. Do, I literally can't do anything this year. So this episode is dedicated to Thanksgiving desserts. And we first want to talk about pies. Because you can't talk about Thanksgiving without talking about pies. Exactly. And then we want to talk about not pies. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and why that's okay, too. Yeah, it's totally okay. So let's start with pie. Like, it, it is. It's such an iconic part of Thanksgiving. I mean, besides the turkey, I think that this is it, correct? Yeah. And just like you wouldn't have Thanksgiving without a turkey, even though I do know people who don't even put turkey on the plate at Thanksgiving, you really can't have Thanksgiving without pies. Even if you're okay with it, chances are someone around the table is going to be so upset Yeah, at someone's going to get miffed if, like, on that buffet there is not. A, you know, a beautiful looking apple pie or pumpkin pie right. or something like that. When you're sitting down or someone else is sitting down to actually to to bake a few pies, what do you need to know? Should we just start with just the, do the iconic pies and the yeah, iconic Yeah, so what are the know? ones that are usually on your Apple. Oh, yeah. So, okay, I'll, t- I'll back up. Pecan is always on my table. It is, and it is the most cloyingly sweet version of pecan okay, pie ever. I agree. And I love it. <laughs> I, it's from the Magnolia Bakery Cookbook. We've used it every year. I don't know. I, I well, just you have think to take like, those tiny little sliver sort, slices. Sort Not of. really. <laughs> I mean, it's uh, it's so good. And then I always do an apple pie, but I just switch up the recipe every year. Like I just mm. try something different. And sometimes I make it with cheddar cheese crust. Excellent. Which is really I love good. that combo. And then I'm not a pumpkin pie fan at all, actually. So I, being a selfish person, I don't usually make pumpkin. I usually make some sort of rogue kind of random pie. Like I made an apple galette last year mm-hmm. um, with like a brown butter. Yum. But I know that pe- I, someone always has to bring a pumpkin because if not, someone's going to have a head of a conniption fit. So yeah. I feel like apple, pecan, pumpkin are the three major yeah. ones. Yeah, I think that's like the the trinity of Thanksgiving yeah. pies. <laughs> exactly. So can we start with apple? Just like a few quick tips on apple. Yeah. So I mean, I guess my number one suggestion for apple pies that people may not think of, which is really kind of a game changer is to use a mix of apple varieties in your pie. So don't just go to the market or the, you know, the store and fill up your bag with 
Macintosh or whatever. That you want a whole range, like ideally like three different kinds and or more. You know, you could go crazy. But the idea being that different app, uh, apples break down differently when they're being cooked. And so if you have a nice variety like that, you're, you're going to end up with this sort of ideal texture when the pie is finished. So you're not going, it's not going to be completely mushy and soupy inside. And it's not going to be so firm that you have those whole apple slices, which I personally hate that. So really, the idea of having that blend is like, you know, any kind of blend, like you're achieving harmony between the different varieties of apples. And you're going to then have a more nuanced flavor too, right? It's not going to be one-dimensional. There's going to be maybe a little bit of tartness, a little bit of sweetness, all that. That would be my number one piece of apple pie advice. Okay. I think that's good. I, I, you know, my question is always, how do you know which one's tart and which one's sweet? I would, I kind of just go to the store and like literally look at the smorgasbord of apples and pick like some different ones and don't really just trust that I'm getting a mixture of and flavors and I think and that textures. if you get a bunch of them like you're going to be okay right. and that's the other thing is like if you buy all of one kind of apple and it's not yeah. really the kind of like then apple. you're like you're you're sunk yeah but you know and also this time of year if you do have a farmer's market or a green market near you there are just so many great sort of unusual different kinds of apples out there right now and it's it I totally encourage you to just go and like make a grab bag you will have a delicious pie I also I'm having this like nostalgic feeling of when I um I was single and I had all the time in the world uh-huh. <laughs> it was such a good time and I used to like I would actually like do ta- like little taste tests before mm-hmm. I'd bake my pies like a few like days dry before runs. I would make my dough ahead of time and like put it in a cooler and bring it up to Rhode Island on the train. Those were the days. I I mean, oh God. Anyway, that's a good idea. Just grab a bunch and and put them in your pie and and you'll have a really good texture too because you don't, the applesauce center is a problem. Yeah, you don't want either extreme, you know? Yep, yep. Okay, so apple, great. Mastered it, done. Yep. Okay, let's talk about pumpkin. My PSA for pumpkin pies today is I think... Of late, there has been a resurgence of interest in, like, actually using small, pump, like, sugar pumpkins to make pumpkin pie. Like, oh, I'm going to make it with a real pumpkin. And, I mean, that's great if you if are... If you're a single person. <laughs> if you're you in your former and you're, life. And you're but, transporting your dough in a cooler. Yeah. <laughs> but I would also warn that there's real, you know... There's really nothing wrong with that can of Libby's or or my favorite is the one pie. That's such a good can. It's such a great can. The the potential pitfalls of using a real pumpkin are are many, mainly being that you can't really count on how the moisture levels of the mixture, the cooked down mixture you're gonna mm-hmm. get. So it requires a lot more sort of trial and error. And you know, it's a lot more likely that you might end up with a soggy, soupy pie rather than the kind that comes out of the can and has been engineered to be that way. Right. Um, you might have to spend a lot more time cooking down the pumpkin so it gets thick. So I would, I'm here to let you all off the hook. I guess that's my PSA. Don't fear the can in this case. Okay, so that's good about pumpkin. Yeah. And then pecan. Now, we have a difference of opinion here. Like, I'm kind of like the more corn syrup and... The more sticky. Yeah, I'm gathering that from your previous comment. Oh my god, comment. I just love it. So it's I'm not so, so into that. Bad. <gasps> it's I, so good. It's kind of like makes my teeth hurt yeah. just thinking about yep. it. 
So for me, I really love a pecan pie that is a hybrid. So I don't, I don't really go like full throttle pecan pie. And in fact, one of my favorite versions is a pecan and dark chocolate. Mm. And there are a lot of recipes out there mm-hmm. for this combo. But I think what's really nice about that is, you know, the chocolate is still pretty decadent and feels celebratory. You know, it's straight up dessert. But the darkness and the sort of bitter edge of the chocolate cuts some of that kind of cloying corn syrup sweetness for you know, me. What you could do is, what I, I'm actually thinking I will do this time is, because I'm, I can't make anything this year, I will make one on Friday or Saturday mm-hmm. to eat at my leisure. I think that <laughs> you might, you call it a housewarming gift oh to God. yourself. So bad. My friend Happy, who has a very funny name, but also is a really, really dear friend, and we have Thanksgiving with her family every year. She does, um, she uses a pecan pie recipe, but she uses macadamia nuts in place Ooh. of the pecans. I mean, talking about decadent, that thing is I mean, that's got to be a $50 a pie. <laughs> I know, yeah. I know, but it's really pretty good. Okay, so you've got basically your building blocks of pies, and you know a lot of people have their own their own pie recipes. Yeah, I mean way. the other pie that is sort of like my favorite pie of all time, but again belongs to an era in my life that <laughs> is no longer because it's very labor intensive. But if you are a person who has the time and the inclination, oh I. Really, really encourage you to go out and make a Concord grape pie. Oh. There is a recipe in Deborah Madison's Local Flavors Cookbook. Okay. Which is where, like, you know, 12 years ago I first saw it. And it it is like my er pie now at this point. It's so good. But it is labor intensive in that. Concord grapes are slipskin grapes, so you know oh, they're the ones. That, so you have to like what are you saying? Squeeze to me? them out of their skins, and then you have to run them through a food mill to get the seeds out, and then cook it all that okay. together. Okay, all right, all right. <laughs> but if you do that, you are rewarded. If any listener does that, I ple- will you please, please, please tweet at us and let us know because okay. we're going to have you on as a special guest. I want to hear the whole thing. Yeah. So I used to the do that of the because grape actually, pie. you know, we're a little bit past Concord grape season mm-hmm. now, so that's a tricky thing. I think it's a perfect Thanksgiving pie, but this is really for all of you to think about next year because we're really what you have to do is make it like in October and freeze it. Okay. And then you and then so you're really working ahead, right? right? Yeah. Maybe when I'm seventy and retired, <laughs> I'll I'm totally doing that. Okay. So we've got our pies on the table. Or you know, you go to a Thanksgiving where someone's already taking care of all the pies and you are asked to bring dessert or you're asked to bring something mm-hmm. and you're kind of at a loss. And, you know, Bringing another pecan pie is great because then you can bring it home yep. to eat later. But in you know, in terms of what else, how else do you round out a dessert buffet when without pie? Well, we actually just did a, a roundup of five ideas on the site, and some of these things I think are going to like be in my full Thanksgiving rotation from now on. Okay. And maybe my favorite um, is the simple uh, upside down cake. A pear upside down cake with a spiced cake. So what I would think of as kind of your classic fall, not a gingerbread cake, but like a golden gently spiced cake. And the other thing I would say is that upside down cakes in all forms are really like something that you should have in your back pocket because they're really simple to put together. They're hugely adaptable. So you can transform them 
seasonally, uh, you know, by occasion, just depending on the different kind of fruit that you're swapping in for the top mm-hmm. and the way that you're flavoring the cake. So this one, the one that is on the site now is a recipe that I've been working on in different iterations, actually, for a couple of years. Okay. And it started out, the first time I made it, I made it with a rhubarb top. So that was like in the springtime. And then I, as I, it became an instant classic in my house. I loved it so much. And then I was thinking about adapting it for the fall, and it works perfectly with pears, too. And you can make it in a skillet. So I just use my like 10 inch cast your iron skillet. Your good old skillet. cast iron skillet yep. that's always on your, on your and, stove top. And all you have to do is slice your, your pears. You want it like a pretty nice, ripe, but not too soft pears. And um, you, you know, you make a little brown sugar, buttery kind of caramel. You make that in the pan on your stove. Okay. You slice your pear, you arrange the slices in the pan. Yeah. And you just kind of like in a circular shape and but they come out looking like sort of beautiful flower petals when you flip it over and then you make your cake batter and you just spoon that on top you stick it in the oven and you know 40 minutes later you've got this amazing Do you have to worry about it not cake. actually coming out because you flip it over right so you mm-hmm. like take it out flip it over I've never had a problem because it's so buttery and yeah okay so um and what are the spices in the cake so it has cinnamon, allspice, a little bit of cardamom. It's just, it actually is sort of this like quintessentially kind of New Englandy spice cake to, for, to me. And in fact, I, it's, I adapted it from a recipe that I got in an old Maine community cookbook from like 1940. I mean, mm. I changed the spices and stuff a little bit, but like the basic proportions and format of it are just a, a, a recipe, a style that you would have found in any one of these kind of like church cookbooks from mid-century New England. Nice. And I love that because it does look, it, could, it looks pretty without too much effort. It, totally. Yeah. And it's, it's, so it's not showy, but it's very pretty and it's like in anyone's ballpark. Anyone can do this. So that's perfect. So that, that's one of the recipes on realsimple.com. We'll go to the next one in a second. But first, we want a word from our sponsor. This podcast is sponsored by CardsDirect.com. You know what's coming. The holidays are only weeks away. And before you're busy with gifts and parties, it's time to order your personalized greeting cards. CardsDirect.com provides custom holiday cards for both business and families, so you can send something truly unique this Christmas. Shop over 5,000 holiday products. They make it easy to order, and they offer express shipping options. Right now, Things Cooks Know listeners will receive an exclusive 25% off automatically this season when they visit cardsdirect.com slash realsimple. Order today and tell them we sent you cardsdirect.com slash realsimple. Okay, so let's go on to the second recipe that's on realsimple.com, a non-pie dessert that's suitable for Thanksgiving. Sure. You'll, you might notice a theme as I'm talking. A lot of these recipes have kind of like a history or roots in in New England, just because I think that when we think about uh, Thanksgiving flavors, there's definitely a, you know, a lineage to the Northeast. And so one of the um, things that I included in this lineup is a very, very classic Yankee dessert called Grape Nuts Pudding. What's really cool is that the grape nuts, which, you know, 
kind of like the staple of the grocery store shelf, and I think people think tastes like cardboard. Yeah, pretty <laughs> much. Um, they sort of get transformed in this, and when they soak in this like sweetened milk, a nutmeg spiced custard that they bake in, and they form kind of like a soft nutty crust on the oh, bottom. Okay. So they sink to the bottom during baking and and form this little layer. So they're not really distinguishable as real grape nuts anymore. And they're not too sweet. And they just give, they sort of give it this great little nutty, appropriately, <laughs> tang. And with a little drizzle of like dark maple syrup on top and some barely sweetened whipped cream, I think it's kind of to die for. And if you didn't tell anyone that there were grape nuts in there, they wouldn't know. Mm-hmm. Um, and you can flavor the custard with, I mean, nutmeg is the traditional, just like a pinch of that goes in there. But you could add a little bit more vanilla or a little bit more cinnamon if you want to bring out some other notes. Maybe a little rum. A little rum would never <laughs> be unwelcome. And and it's, it takes like five minutes to prep. I mean, it's seriously okay. one of these, like, pour and dump desserts that I think it's worth a try. Okay. You know, maybe it's not for everyone, but I think it'll, I think most people will have not heard of this before. And I definitely think it's so easy and really so inexpensive and kind of comforting and delicious. And give it a shot. And I also think that the two things you've suggested so far are both classic enough. I, people get so offended on Thanksgiving. Right. I mean, even when we put re- recipes in Real Simple, people, people, uh, you know, they just want to make what they want to make and what they make every year. Like, there's such a, you know, like a deep-rooted tradition in all of this, family-wide. Yep. And so if you're bringing something rogue that's not a pie, the idea of bringing something that at least has, that does have that kind of, you know, rooted New England tradition or, you know, American lore will avoid, I think, some some angry totally. People and these are the all table. these are these are really like family home style desserts. This is not reinventing the wheel. Okay, so what's the third one? Another option is a cake, a beet cake. So okay. it's kind of like this a twist t- on it. No, no. I mean, so what's so weird about a cake, uh, beet cake? People make carrot cakes all the time, True. right? Okay, okay. Same idea. All right. You're just shredding beets instead of carrots. So you don't have to cook them. You can you can go either way. Our recipe calls for cooked beets, but I we suggest using those like vacuum packed okay, ones. Okay, okay, okay. But there are versions of beet cakes if you want to go on the internet that use uncooked beets okay. too. And, you know, a little known fact, maybe. So beet cakes are like not some new invention. In fact, it's thought that the original uh, red velvet cakes used um, beets as one of their coloring agents. So, yeah, and and cocoa, Uh which has kind of a reddish hue, too. So this is not like a new invention. But it's great for fall. It's a super moist cake. It has this... I think when it's baked, this flavor that is totally unrecognizable as beet, but kind of an earthy, almost chestnutty flavor to me, that's what I get out of it. In our version, we we did a layer cake, so two layers of cake frosted in the middle and then all around. What kind of frosting? With buttercream frosting uh-huh. with a little bit of apple butter stirred in. Ooh. So just the okay, apple that butter that really you delicious. get from the, you know, the shelf in the store. You just stir that and in. I'm and I'm assuming the cake thing. turns out to this 
to be a, a, a dark red? It it really sadly loses most of its like oh. brilliant redness. Yeah. It has it has what I would call a mahogany kind of chestnutty color. Okay. But that said, you can delight your family with like the look of kitchen massacre <laughs> while you're baking because it has the most brilliantly like red and magenta batter that you will ever see in your life. It's completely psychedelic. Okay. But it does mellow during cooking. All right, all right. Everybody does. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> um, so there's that. And it's really pretty. I mean, it's just, it's just the kind of great fall colors. The frosting is kind of just lightly golden. And we, I just decorated mine with like a couple of like leaves from the trees outside. And it looked so pretty. Oh, um, we had really some nice. crab apple. I mean, it's like you could really just go forage a couple things and yeah. stick them on top of there. Okay. And let's see. What else? Brownies. Okay. Everybody loves brownies. What's Thanksgiving about brownies, right? No, nothing much. But here is the twist that I think you could do to kind of surprise some people at your table, which is add fresh cranberries to your brownie batter. Oh, that sounds delicious. It is so good. And you get these like big bursts of a little bit of tartness and a nice red color mm-hmm. uh, in every slice. And it actually, they really play off, the two flavors play off each other really well. That kind of sweet tart cranberry cuts through the richness of the brownies. I'm assuming you want like a really, really, really rich, dark yes. brownie. Yeah, you want a fudgy brownie yeah. for this. Yeah. And the other thing that we did for this recipe, which just adds another layer of texture is stirred in some cocoa nibs too and sprinkle them on top so when you bake it where do you get cocoa nibs they're just at the grocery store really really okay like usually sometimes in the baking aisle or the sometimes they're in like the bulk food or nut section too all right of course you can order them online too but and this recipe doesn't call for a a ton of them so you could completely leave them out and still have delicious brownies but I think they're nice in that they have that kind of bitterness too and that crunch so you have these really fudgy brownies with a little crunch and then this pop of sweetness from the cranberries I think also you could slice those really you could make just teeny ones Mm -hmm. and that way like your little plate when you have multiple things on it because you always do yeah just like a that little bite. A little, little rectangle would be perfect. And again, really simple, you know, one bowl kind of batter and bake it. If you can make brownies, you can make these. Okay. And then the last thing, which kind of brings us back to something you were talking about before, maybe um, a little bit more out there than the others because it does involve the F word, frying. Um, but it is a bad word. Yeah. It's, I I mean, it's good. It's good in some ways, but it's bad in practice. Yeah. I think, I know that a lot of people get freaked out about it, but these are really worth doing and they don't require any special equipment or like burning. You won't burn down your house, I promise. But that is apple and cheddar fritters. Oh my gosh. And you can make the batter ahead of time and then just... It probably doesn't work for, like, if you have 30 people. I was going to say, this is like... But if you have a small group... Right, and, and you have an yeah. open stovetop. Yeah. <laughs> and okay. you, and you, ha- you, know, you can just sort of batch these out right while everyone else is, like, 
watching the football game before yeah. dessert. Yeah. And um, or on their and walk. You, yeah, and you already have the dough. I mean, the batter made and everything. They're really, really good. They have like barely any ingredients in them. It's just it's apples, milk, eggs, and shredded white cheddar. So that's the thing. It's like a little bit of sugar, a little bit of flour, but it's just a simple batter. And they, they're they like these amazing little free-form sweet and savory donuts. And you just like toss them with a little sugar yeah. and throw them on the table and people will think that you're a goddess. I, I think you would be a goddess if you did that. Because that <laughs> sounds impossible the night of Thanksgiving. I do think it'd be cool like the next, you know, when you do your leftovers yep. night, do it then. That's a great I don't idea. Know, when you yeah. like have fewer people and like it doesn't matter if it's kind of you're like you're not worried late. about all the yeah. dishes Presentation, and blah yeah. blah blah. Okay, those sound really good. I wanted to end on another selfish question being if you're literally getting on a train, you know, over w- the river and through the woods to mm-hmm. grandmother's house and and showing up and having had no time to make anything and being like a terrible guest. What can you just bring if you're, you know, just bring something for dessert that people will actually, besides store-bought bakery stuff, which I think is totally fine too, but like, is there just something you can bring that to contribute without having to do anything? Totally. I think that you can never go wrong with like an array of fancy chocolate. Yeah. You know, I think the whole point of these things is just to like a treat. So like things that people won't normally buy themselves. Mm -hmm. So, you know... Pick up a few. There's so many of these like new so chocolatiers many. and everything. So many. Even in just at Whole Foods or somewhere like that, where Completely. you know that that section of the supermarket, just get like five or six chocolate bars, and you can break them up into pieces, and people can you know try them, or you can do that, and maybe combine that with some fruit. But, you know, not like uh, an apple, like try and shop the kind of exotic section of your supermarket if there if there is one. But, you know, I mean, if you can get them like a couple of lychees or some tangerines that still like look like they're off the branch. I mean, Mm -hmm. I know some markets at holiday time have things like that around. And the idea is just to kind of treat yourself and treat the guests with something that is actually out of the ordinary, even if it's just a slightly different version of, of what they might normally yeah, have. I think that sounds really nice. And finally, I wanted to ask you a safe space question. This is something that happens to a lot of people I know. Certainly has happened to me. And that is bringing whipped cream to Thanksgiving dinner at someone else's house or your own house, I guess. Mm-hmm. You know, the idea of like getting out the beaters and beating it there. And for me, like that it always sprays all over the place. <laughs> Actually, maybe that's the question. But when you bring it in your Tupperware container and you put it in the fridge and then you bring it out before dessert and it's like turned into this like flat, watery, watery stuff, Mm -hmm. like, is there any way to make to prevent that? Or do you just should you just whip it right there? You can kind of re whip it there over a bowl of ice water if you've like you want to get it really cold and start whipping it again. Um, That will help. But I would say. There's no substitute for just bringing the cream. And even if it means bringing your own whisk and bowl, doing it there. Okay. Well, thank you, Sarah Kay. And thank you so much for joining us today for Things Cooks Know. We'd like to thank our producer, Tim Einenkel, and our engineer, Sam Dingman. If you enjoyed the episode, you can please subscribe on iTunes and you can leave us comments there. We'd love to read them. 
For a million more great cooking tips and tricks and all of the Thanksgiving recipes we told you about today, head to realsimple.com. And if you have topics you'd like us to cover next time, you can tweet them to us at Sarah P. Humphreys or at SQ Karn. We'll be back next week. 